the Irish Times Inside Business podcast in association with EY, building a better working world. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week I'm talking to three elite Irish sports people about juggling their work with the demands of their sports and life after they retire. In a few moments, you'll hear from Dublin GA stars Dean Rock and John Small on how they juggle working for energy consulting group Procure.ie with the demands of inter-county football. And in the second part of the show, three-time Olympic athlete Deborah O'Rourke talks about her transition from the track to the boardroom and the launch of her new wellness app. But first to GA. Dean Rock and John Small have been two of the stars of the Dublin men's senior football team, which has won nine All-Ireland titles since 2011. They join me in studio to talk about how they juggle time demands of being an amateur GA into county footballer with building a career off the pitch. Here we go. So, Dean and John, you're very welcome. And first of all, congratulations on Dublin winning another senior All-Ireland football title after a two-year wait. That must have been uh, difficult after all the success uh, of recent years. Dean, you've got eight All-Ireland medals. John, you've only got seven. I mean, you must feel <laughs> so inadequate. I know, yeah. But congratulations. And I suppose we must ask, what did it feel like winning this year? Was it better than the previous ones? That has been said, that some, some of the players found it a bit sweeter. Yeah, look, I think obviously after you've been defeated in, in two All-Ireland semi-finals in the run-up to this year and, and lots of question marks over the team um, the, the team obviously was, was ageing as well so um, as I said those question marks and then having to go to the well again and really looking look, mm. look in the mirror over the, those, those two years and to come back was really satisfying because we put a huge amount of work into this year um, to ultimately uh, win another All-Ireland and to, to obviously get over the line and to get the All Ireland back after a drought of, of, of two, two years, two years is a very, years, yeah. very long time um, for, for Dublin not to win an All Ireland. So, uh, no, look, yeah, just it was a special, special year, particularly mm. when your backs are against the wall. And you got scored the last point on the day, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, you know, coming off the bench, thankfully enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, look, it's it, it's one of them things. Obviously, it's a role and responsibility to, to finish and close out the game. And thankfully, it all went well. So, will we see Dean Rock in a Dublin jersey in twenty twenty four? Well, you see me either way, either as a fan uh, going to the games or a jersey on me or on the pitch. Me, on the the pitch. Uh, yeah, look, we'll see. Obviously, just the season now is it, it, it's a little bit quicker in terms of it's yeah. not it's not as long, but it takes up a huge amount of your time and you be young family at home. Um, so yeah, it's a massive commitment into county football uh, these days, and you know, I've been there probably since two thousand and nine. So I've had a long time, long long journey in, in the blue jersey. But look, we'll we'll go away on holidays the next couple of weeks and. Uh, have a few conversations then. Right. John, talk to us about that commitment. What's involved as an inter-county uh, footballer now? It takes up a significant amount of your time. It's a big balancing act with work as well. Um, I think the GPA did a study on it and it can be anywhere between 30 and 40 hours you spend dedicated to your sport. Per week? Per week, yeah. yeah. So it, it is a so really in Dublin's case, in your case, let's say, with Dublin, what's the involvement? Well, you have obviously your, your gym sessions, your on-field mm. sessions, then you have your time away, your video analysis, your weekends away, your long training camps. So depending on the time of year, it will vary, but there is a lot of a lot of time dedicated to it. So as Dean said, when you have things like young family and big work commitments, it's just balancing everything. It's a, It can be a little bit difficult sometimes, but it, it's great, really satisfying as well, and you wouldn't do it only for you. You like it so much. You love it, yeah. yeah now, you're both it. working for a company called Procure.ie. John, maybe just tell us what Procure.ie does and, and what your roles are. Yeah, so Procure.ie, well, it was initially set up in 2017 by our directors, uh, Keith Dunhill and James O'Shea. Keith is based in Dublin, James is based in Cork, and there's two arms to the business. So there's the energy consultancy side, mm. and then there's the merchant service side. Dean and I are, are based in Dublin. There's five full-time staff in Dublin and there's four full-time uh, in Cork. Actually, Sean O'Gohalpin recently just joined the company as well, okay. so he's based in Cork. Fiji influence. Fiji influence, yeah. And it's it's gone really well. Uh, we're growing rapidly, to be honest. Um, and we also have 45 independent agents who, who work for the company, so they would send business through Procure uh, to their own independent body, but they send all the business through us. So, so just give me an example of what Procure does for... Is so, it businesses are your customers? Or yeah, so we only specifically deal with commercials. Uh, okay. uh, what we do is we procure their energy. They would come to us. So we, we would see a lot of companies on what would be called a standard rate. And what that would look like means that they are out of contract with their energy. 
when you're on to a standard rate with a supplier, your bills can double or triple in some cases. And we put them into we scale the market and put them into a contract, bespoke deals based on what's best for their business. So for commercial meters, for example, are all different, and they all have different tariffs. So it's, if you if you're not um, if you're not using an energy consultant, you might be aware you can get put on rates that are too high. You can go into that variable rate. Mm. So it's our job to put you on the best rate that we can. Right. Okay. So it's kind of a comparison. comparison somebody comes tool, to yeah. you and says, "What's you know? This is my energy usage. Yeah. What's the best rate in the market available to yeah. me?" We're there to help the customer. Like we'd seen numerous examples of customers also in arrears, and we can set them with the suppliers for payment plans, okay. different aspects, reduce their tariffs in that aspect as well. And you get a fee or a commission from the energy company or from yeah. the. So we SME. get paid by the supplier themselves. The supplier. So we don't get paid anything directly from the customer. It's in our best interest to put you on the lowest rate. Right, Dean. Energy costs obviously shot up after Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So presumably you've had a lot of people coming to you saying, uh, help me, I need to get my energy bills down. My energy bills have doubled or trebled or whatever the case might be. Yeah, thankfully, at the, at the minute, I suppose, the market has become quite suppressed and, it's, you know, it's it's definitely performing in, in a far better position than it was during the Russian Ukraine crisis. And yeah, pr- prices have come down, rates have come down. I mean, mm. like two years ago, people could have been signed into rates of to go to 60, 70 cent, um, which was just astronomical in comparison to what they were pr- paying previously. Um, and gas rates were up to nearly 18 to 20 cents when people were paying 1.5 to, to, to 3 cents in the past. Mm. So it's you could see the impact it was having on on, on small business users and, and even larger business users as well. And uh, yeah, look, we, we've heard all the stories of people closing down, unfortunately, because of the cost. But I think the big thing with... People have just become so conscious now and aware, and it's it's a massive part of their you know discussions and any sort of um, meetings. It's it's top of the agenda now for a lot of business in terms of their energy energy costs. And um, myself and John have have certainly seen that over the last two years um, in terms of just the amount of business coming to us and people looking for advice um, because. It's a it's a massive massive headache for, for for people having that overhead of large large energy costs. So what's the advice? What's the key piece of advice to the customers? Well, that's that's our job. So there's so many different things that impact the market, and people aren't aware. This is getting quite technical, but like so, the Irish a lot of the suppliers would price off what's called the MBP, which is the national balancing point. Different. So for example, Israel Hamas at the moment is impacting that because Israel have shut down their gas field, so that would spike the market. We would get new pricing, and we go and. There's a, they're saying why last week is it elevated? Well, there's geopolitical fa- factors at play. So the advice would be to use an energy consultant because we're always going to keep you on the lowest tariff. And sometimes we might advise a customer, for example, to exit their current tariff and pay an exit fee to move to a much lower tariff because we'll average it over the 12 months. So there's very like that's our job really is customers aren't expected to know all the ins and outs of the market. The advice would be to use an energy consultant. Right, okay. Now, we're off-season in terms of inter-county football for you guys. That ended for, for you in July, earlier for some other counties, obviously. So, what's the time commitment to GAA? You're back playing with your club, presumably Ballymun, both Ballymun men. What's the time commitment at the moment for the club? Because you're not allowed to do any inter-county stuff at the minute, are you? Yeah, so we're, we're pretty much, we're nearly at the end of our club season as well. Like championship finish, we were unfortunately beaten by Chemical Croaks in a quarter final. Um, so we did, we had a league game last week and we had a league game this weekend. But after this weekend, we're pretty much done for, for the season with the club. And then it's pretty much, uh, yeah, back into the swing of things with, with the county team. We're back training, uh, you know, December. And that's when that kicks off again. We, we Thankfully, we have a holiday now next week. Uh, where we can recharge the batteries, but after that, then it's your your. Is back. that a group holiday or is that? Yeah, it's a team, team, holiday. team holiday. holiday. Yeah, okay. that's um, obviously we we fundraise towards, and uh, so that that'd be nice to get everyone away, family and and uh, and the management team. Uh, but yeah, once you're back from that, it's it's full throttle in for the national league, and before you know it, you're into the middle of the national league, and then looking mm. ahead to championship. So yeah, it comes around very quickly, but uh, yeah, for now we 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 might get. When does the league kick off next year? It'll be the end of January, uh, right. predominantly. That's what it's quite condensed now. The inter-county season between yeah. January and July. Yeah. Do you prefer that to the old system where it could run till September? Um, it's hard to know. I don't think they'll ever get the the calendar schedule right. I think we're probably the architects of our own downfall in terms of not having enough time off because, you know, naturally enough, if you go long in the inter-county season and get to an All Ireland final, 
you're pretty much straight back into the, the club action. So you don't really get any time off. Whereas if you do exit a championship early from an inter-county perspective. Or from Leitrim or somewhere like that. Well, we won't get into the specifics, but if if, if you exit the championship early, um, I suppose you get more time off before you go back to the club championship. And that's kind of, yeah, so we probably are the architects of our own downfall in terms of not getting enough yeah. recovery and time off. So you're in club mode at the moment. What's the commitment, time commitment to the club when you're just in club mode? To be honest, like, in transparent, it's not really comparable to inter-county. It's, you show up, train on a Tuesday and Thursday. It's an hour, an hour and a half. You're there and you go home. Mm. And then you play your game on the weekend. So we still have a couple of league games left. But I'd say the total time commitment the club is probably five, six hours a week. Okay, no video analysis? No, or? We, well, we don't. Maybe maybe like yeah. some chemical and others, stuff others, others might. But, um, <laughs> yeah, we do the, the very minimum terms of statistics and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, it's not very comparable, I don't think, to club and okay. county. Well, what not about, for us anyway. Not it could, for be, us, could be different yeah, for, yeah, maybe for yeah. others. Absolutely, yeah. What about gym sessions? Uh, presumably you're, you're, you're doing gym sessions all year round. Yeah, you've got... Pro- John is, anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Now we were given a uh, detailed bespoke program for each player, and and we work away at that. Is that from Dublin or from Ballymun? From Dublin, Dublin. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. and that's a year-round thing. You're expected to continue that. Yeah, we were supposed to. You'd, you'd have access to to do the strength and conditioning coaches through, for Dublin throughout the whole year. So absolutely, yeah. When when you're with Dublin, obviously you're following program with with them. The, the club guys are obviously following their own program, but yeah. then you know when you're when you're out and you're away from Dublin. If you want to go to the strength and condition guys in Dublin to work on certain things, they'll give you something to work on. Um, but so, like I suppose myself and John are around for ten mm. or twelve years, so we probably have a good idea of what we should and shouldn't be doing um, in the gym. But yeah, you're always you're always just ticking mm. away and, and tipping away. Okay, so five or six hours with the club. You're doing your gym program as well. Yeah, uh, is that a daily thing? No, you wouldn't. I wouldn't go every day to the gym. Depends. Right. Okay, like, so how many hours in the gym? Let's say every week. Well, while you're off season from Dublin. So I, they wouldn't prescribe necessarily mm. what you have to do all the time mm. in the off-season. So you are back with your club. So as Dean said, like we'd have an idea of what we're doing. We'd probably go to the gym ourselves, off our own, bash maybe two or three times extra a yeah. week. And okay. then, yeah. So, so another a few hours, let's say. Another a few hours, yeah. All right. So when you're in Dublin mode then, uh, in December, you're back into camp with Dublin, essentially, and hopefully until the All-Ireland final. So what's the time commitment uh, then? How does that uh, break down? And does it sort of graduate... Upwards, you start off with a set number of hours and then it goes up, up, up uh, as the season progresses. Yeah, I think probably as the, the stakes get higher and, and you go into the, the championship mode, we probably would go for maybe a weekend away or maybe have a, a weekend in Dublin where we're doing a little bit more analysis side of things and you're probably delving more into the tactical side of things because you're kind of into the summer and you have a bit more time in your hands. Whereas the start of the year is it's pretty much about just getting yourself into good physical shape individually and collectively and just, you know, going through the league games mm. as opposed to, because ultimately the main objective is the championship. Um, so you're obviously going to put more emphasis and time onto that, but you're obviously putting the building blocks together throughout the league um, in advance of the championship. But yeah, certainly the time definitely goes mm. up. In the, and the, the league is a little bit more condensed, so you're kind yeah. of moving from game to game. So you don't, you wouldn't have to, going to that much more detailed analysis that you might for a championship game because you're playing you could be playing six days later which is good <laughs> yeah, which is good which yeah, which is good yeah. the means wouldn't be as yeah. as long yeah sure okay so now you need a very understanding employer presumably if you're with a successful county like Dublin uh, and you're going to be playing for a, a number of months and, and given this 30 to 40 hours uh, commitment so tell us about balancing work with GAA and the kind of sacrifices you have to make we're very lucky. So, as I said, Keith Dunning, who set up the company, be mm. a good friend of, of myself and Dean. Um, and he's very understanding in terms of he lets us, if we need to go for anything, he, it's it's not it's no issue at all. Um, we're very fortunate in that regard because I know in other cases, you know, you're stuck you're stuck to your desk be, like till the time that you're there. Um, and balancing it, like to give it an example of what it would look like, we would head straight from the office whenever we need to go to, to head to training uh, to do our prep prepare for training, go out and train, depending how long that went on. Would, literally from there, you would have your, your food after your training and then you'd go home and it's bedtime and then back to work again. So what time <laughs> What time does work start, let's say? Depending on, we probably aim to be there in the office before half eight. Before half eight, okay. And what time would you finish of a day? Would you be, you know, back home after training, after your meals, uh, etc.? Oh, Nine o'clock. 
Yeah, yeah, it was in the summer, probably a little bit later because you might have been meeting after training, so maybe 10, probably the early stage of the year, about nine. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's a long day, it's a long day, yeah, and it's preparing all the stuff around that as well, like your meals, your gear, um, trying to time it that you give yourself sufficient, you know, your prehab stuff as well. There's, there's, a, there's a lot in it. That's just, it. And when you go home, do you have homework? Do you have video analysis to do yourself on your opponents maybe? Uh, or is it all done in a group session? No, no. They're all, they're all, lads are always trying to get an edge individually as well. So they're obviously looking at their own their own game or trying to improve or looking at the, the next opposition and trying to <coughs> figure out how they can perform best that next day. So yeah, mm. there is obviously. Some lads would do a little bit more of that than others, but it's certainly <coughs> some, something that's added to the list from time to time. Absolutely, yeah. We should just remind listeners that you're amateur. You're not getting paid for this, right? Yeah. And then I look, in fairness, at, at other counties and guys that are working in mm. Dublin, obviously, because they um, it's necessary they have to do it and they, mm. they have to travel back for training and then travel back up the next day. It's it's very taxing on the body. Yeah, yeah. It's a big mm. competitive advantage probably that we have and that's something that I've always said is that we're very fortunate in Dublin that most of the, the work is in Dublin and most of our guys don't have to travel crazy distances to get to training, whereas for other counties, unfortunately, they might not be able to train during the week and have to go back the weekend. So it's certainly an advantage for, for us. For sort of living I suppose there would be a perception out there that maybe GA players can benefit. There might be side benefits, if you like. Uh, you might get to open the supermarket or something like that and get a few bob, or you might get a car. I don't know if, if you've sponsored cars. Maybe you have, you have cars through work. I don't know. Um, or you know you'll get paid a personal appearance fee for some something or other. Um, is, is that the case? Is that a reality? <laughs> it depends on the player, I suppose. Um, no, look, I think there's 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 perks here and there, but like predominantly, I mean, we are very much amateur and we heavily rely on our on our job, and um, so the massive emphasis is on. Trying to get as good a job as you possibly can, um, and someone that you're really happy in working, and you can you make a bit of a, a living for yourself. And as I said, myself and John are very fortunate that we're in a position that our our careers, our work careers, are, are going really well for us, and uh, we're in a good position where the the business is is growing and growing fast, and we're obviously going to be a massive part of that. So it's a nice it's a nice distraction to have as well when you're when. I suppose the focus and a lot of your attention can be on football and it's a very high pressured environment so to get away from that and go into a work environment where you know that it's a great place to go to work for us is it certainly helps us on the pitch as well and in fairness Dublin are like under Desi's stewardship and Jim previously they would really promote um, growth in your career and, and, and really going after that element as well alongside your football because there can't be a case where you might neglect you might throw everything into your football and neglect your career but when it's over then you're, you're kind of stuck where you are in your career so they both both of them really promoted to go after that and chase your career as well um, and there was guys in the panel that were excellent for, for like I, I always um, reference Paul Flynn was brilliant for me in terms of constantly being on to me about, about trying to do better in your job and, and go for promotion and, and chase different avenues so um, we're very fortunate that we have that kind of network around us as well. And via the GPA, um, players do get grants now, don't you? From uh, which paid for by the by the state. Yeah, it's a gov- government grant government that you grant, apply yeah. for yearly. Yeah, and yearly, if yeah. you're part of an intercounty setup, you're a member of the GPA. So what kind of numbers grant. are we talking that, about in terms of the the, the, the payments? Yeah, I know I it varies. It varies every year. Like I think I can't remember what it was last year. Was it? I'd be saying. It'd be a thousand euro round, right? Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. give or take. Yeah, yeah. but I think it, it it depends on how many weeks you your team goes. Yeah, how far, you got. how far you're going. That's yeah. Yeah. that that influence the, the the amount of pay sure. you get as well. So it, it nowhere near covers the cost of what guys go to in terms of playing at each county level. Like lads would be doing, like myself and John would do extra rehab sessions together where we'd be going off and you'd be doing that on your on, on your own on your own bat um, that's not something prescribed with Dublin lads are always looking for a different angle a different way of improvement and ultimately they're going to pay for that service by someone else so yeah it's lads uh, inter-county footballers and hurlers probably take a lot on themselves and they might not get the reward for it or the, or the, the, the kickback from it really. yeah there's been talk for years and years about pay for uh, play you know that GA players should be should be paid to to play Um and I guess you are being paid in a you know in a, an abstract way through this grant, but it's not very much as as you say. 
Do you see the day coming when uh, GA players, intercounty players, might be uh, paid for playing the game um, and might be, you know, part time or even full time as a result? And should they be? Because the administrators in Croke Park, they're all paid, right? They're all in uh, full time jobs. They're giving a huge commitment to the GA. You are as well, in a different way, but you, you are as well. And people on the day working in catering or whatever in Croke Park and all Ireland Fund, they, they're being paid. I presume the physios, the medical people, the, a lot of the support staff with Dublin, I presume a lot of those uh, get paid as well because it's their professional their professional life. So should GA players be paid? I don't think it's it's black or white. I think there's an element of you're dedicating a huge amount of time. I suppose you, you've seen a, a large, maybe not a large, but certainly a significant number of players probably stepping away from uh, inter-county because the commitment is so so um, so time-consuming and they could maybe put that, as I said, in more, put that effort mm. into their career uh, and be financially rewarded that way. So if there was something, I'm sure it would, it would definitely be, um, players would be receptive to it. But then also entering the GA, you're also very aware of the amateur ethos of it and you know going into it that it is an amateur game at the end of the day. So we aren't going to be paid. But I can see the, the argument for both sides. Dean, would you like to have been paid to have been a full-time GAA player for the past, you know, since 2009? Ah, look, I think most guys would love to be a professional athlete. I think that's the, that would be the dream. But yeah, look, I think on the cold face of it, when you look at the statistics in terms of you're playing in front of 82,000 people, the amount of hours you're putting into it, um, you would expect for, for people like that to, to be paid. But ultimately, as John says, the organisation is a, it's a voluntary organisation and I think you'd lose a lot if it did go professional and I think the clubs would be affected by it and did the whole... Then there's, you go into different things about amalgamating different counties because there's not going to be enough funding for every county and then you lose that sort of tradition uh, of the GEA. So I don't think we ever will get to that level. Um, I think the GEA are trying to work it. That's, the commitment levels aren't as much by trying to maybe reduce the calendar season and ensuring that lads can still, you know, have their own private life as well as performing at a high level, semi-professional level, I suppose, in terms of the amount of effort and time commitment they put into it. But yeah, I think on the cold face of it, you would say, yes, guys should be paid, but I think you'd lose you'd lose way too much in terms of the whole core and the values of, of the Gaelic Athletic Association. Is there a spin-off to being a, a GA star? Um, does it help with your career? Yeah, definitely does help with your career um, in terms of, the network around you so if you think we have say with Dublin between players coaching staff we've X number of people say 40 you've access to those 40 people you're a very close-knit group you've access to their network and it's getting introductions and mean people and um, there's also the element of that you play GA people are involved in GA clubs so there's definitely a benefit in terms of being introductions and being able to meet that the networks of the people you're associated with that's what I would see as the biggest benefit of it of course, we hear about GA players. Uh, you know, when they're in, when their inter county season is finished, they go off to America and uh, uh, make a few bob for the summer. Spend some weeks there. I don't know if you guys have uh, have ever had that pleasure. No, it's, well, t- thankfully enough, we've we our, our summers have gone on for extended periods, and uh, no, it has never been something that myself or John have have done. Um, Obviously, look. If you ask any guy, they'd they'd much rather be in the championship for till the very end and get to an mm. All Ireland final as opposed to going to America. But again, look, that's some of the opportunities that present themselves through playing the GA is that guys can go over for mm. J ones and 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 have three or four months in America. And there's you know there's plenty of stories of lads who've gone over there and then gone back and made a life and a career for themselves over there too. So yeah, um, and of course some have gone to Australia and then played Aussie rules and, yeah, and yeah. they've had the professional career and it's happening in some of the women now yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as Loads, well yeah. um, Dean can I ask you about retirement I know you haven't sort of formally hung your boots up uh, with, with Dublin but it's in your head right so I just wonder from um, from that standpoint you've been playing since 2009 um, what what keeps you going um, for that length of time given the commitment uh, to it and what do you think will be the the inflection point what, that'll sort of make you decide, yeah, it's time. To, it's time to step down. I, I think what keeps you going is obviously the, the group itself. Um, like I suppose, all your all your best friends are there. Uh, your identity is very much associated with 
being part of Dublin GAA and playing playing for Dublin GAA and um it's it's a it's a tough thing to to let go of if you whenever you do decide to let go of it. And I think as you, you enter your thirties, um I think that's when you, you ask your you ask yourself your that question probably year on year, will I go back or won't I go back? Um but I suppose it all it all depends on you know deep down yourself whether you're you're able to perform at that level and um, thankfully up until now I, I certainly mm. have the body's been good I haven't had too many injuries um, but I think the big thing that, as I said that keeps you coming back is is the group itself it's the lads um, we've built up so much memories great memories together through obviously our successes down through the years um, and then obviously look your your family are, are so close knit then with the group as well we've a special connection with a deep connection through Dublin GA in terms of like most of the guys parents would all be good friends through the experiences as well so it's a well, your dad played it yeah dad would have played too yeah yeah, yeah. and look it's a, it's a, it's so obviously look it'd be a tough thing to to let go of and uh, when you do eventually decide to hang up the boots but look I've certainly given it up my all and done everything I possibly could in my time as a as a, as a Dublin GA player and hopefully I've you know inspired a couple of um kids to to want to go on and play for Dublin that's all you can that's all you can do does that mean you're leaning towards retirement I look it's probably yes but as I said, the, the season itself is only six or seven months now, and uh, yeah, you never know. Desi might give me an extra couple of months off, and yeah. Uh, well, of course, the, the management can always decide to retire you as well. They can make that decision for well, you. Can't they? Sometimes it's not in your your own hands. So uh, yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. You're a few years younger, John, aren't you? I think you're thirty, if I'm right. Yeah. yeah. And you've seven All Ireland medals. So where does the hunger come from for for number eight? Presuming that you're going to go forward for next season. Um, I suppose it's. As Dean said, it's the group, it's the people, um, it's the love for for playing for that group and and wanting to keep going back and be successful and succeed. I'm lucky, like my brother plays obviously on the on the squad as well, Paddy. Yeah. yeah. So um, there's a family thing there. As Dean has that family connection with with Barney. Um, it's the people that went before. Uh, like we'd be we'd be very much steeped in WGA in terms of or the history of WGA. We'd be we'd be well got in that regard and and it's yeah that's where it comes from for me is just the group and the people and what's gone before so looking down the road would you have an ambition maybe to be a coach with dublin or you know to be the next desi farrell or jim gavin uh, etc yeah no it's certainly something i'm interested in and um, i'd obviously watch a huge amount of other sports as well and um the coaching element um, is something that I, I think I will pursue in the future. Um, as I said, I still want to try and play as, as much as I possibly can, but I might try and um, double up with the coaching side on top of that at the same time. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But it's certainly something that I'd, I'd like to do in the future, yeah. yeah. Dean would be a top coach. <laughs> you heard it. You <laughs> heard it. Yeah. Okay. And John, just in terms of uh, family support f- for you, because it is a huge uh, t- time commitment, does there come a time where, when you just have to say, well, look, I have to step away, um, have to put the family first, really can't afford to give 30 to 40 hours anymore uh, every week to Dublin County? Of course, that, that comes into your head. Um, it's a case of, I suppose, having them conversations with the with the guys in charge, the coaches and, and the management um, and saying, this is my situation. And, and in fairness, most people are very accommodating. Um in terms of the family, sometimes the family just has to come first as well. So it's it's totally up to the individual and and their I suppose their drive and their ambition to go back and do it again and see and weigh up everything in the in life. Um, yeah. So this year's All Ireland win. Some people are characterising it as one last hurrah from the group. How do you how do you see it? Can we do two in a row or the are they right? Is one last? I mean, we'll probably see a few retirements, will we? Looking at Dean again, but not getting any signals. <laughs> uh, well, ultimately, Dublin's aim is always going to be to try and win the All Ireland, and Dublin's aim should always be to try and win the All Ireland. But given so, the age profile of of the squad, you know, James McCarthy has nine medals. Stephen Cluxton came out of retirement. Um, what is he? Forty. Yeah, he puts the average age up just a little. Yeah. Bit. <laughs> he does. Yeah, he does. Mick Fitzsimons nine medals uh, as well. So there's a lot of mileage on the clock there. Yeah, but again, it's a personal choice for those guys and what they want to do going going again next year. And um, I've no inclination of what any of those guys are intending to do. Mm. In terms of the team itself, they said that the aim is always going to be Dublin is always going to be to 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 win the All Ireland, and that'll be 
that was before Dean and I were playing that view after Dean and I are playing is that Dublin should always be aiming to win the all Ireland every year yeah no I think the, the great thing is that them younger guys on the panel have now got a, a taste of it and winning one I think that was vitally important for myself John and a couple of the older lads to make sure that they experienced that first and foremost before or if we decided to retire um, <clears throat> because the, I just remember from the all Irelands that we won once you get a, a taste of it you never want to let go of it so I think it was vitally important for them younger guys to experience it and to drive it on now because um, ultimately it is their team the likes of Evan Comfort Paddy Small Sean Bugler Lee Gannon it's them younger cohort now which are really going to drive the standards and set things set things apart so it's uh, yeah I think that was vitally important for, for that group and for Dublin GA football going forward all right. Well, we wish you well for for next year, whatever decision you make. Dean Rock and John Small, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to take a short break now. When I'm back, I'll be joined in studio by former Irish athlete Dervil O'Rourke, who recently launched a new wellness app targeted at the SME market. Back in a few moments. At EY, our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients, enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com. Welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Deborah O'Rourke achieved huge success on the track as an elite Irish athlete before retiring in 2014. Since then, she's launched a number of businesses, including just a few weeks ago, the launch of a wellness app called Sale, which is targeted at SMEs in Ireland and abroad. In this interview, you'll hear her explain how she transitioned from a career in the track to being a business owner and how Sale is targeting the SME market. Deborah O'Rourke, welcome. Uh, hard to believe I was checking up when you uh, retired because I remember you your, your race career. And it was 2014, hard to believe, almost 10 years. And you said in a, a documentary that Tommy Bowe put together about elite sports people and sort of transitioning to their, their post-athletics uh, career, in your case, life. And you said that people kept talking to you in the early days, at least, uh, as if you were dead. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of um, past tense use, certainly, when I first retired. And it is, it's coming up to 10 years and it was interesting, and I remember that Tommy Bow documentary really well because I, I didn't watch it, but I remember retiring and looking at all the positives. Like, I, I genuinely retired, and I felt really fortunate that I got to do what I did for the period of time I did it. There was only one small gap in my CV that slightly annoyed me. Everything else was above and the beyond. Olympics. Yeah, the Olympics. Everything else was above and beyond, though. And I just remember thinking, I've done that and it's opened all these doors and I have all this knowledge that there's no way I could have gotten if I was doing something else. And I loved the opportunity in it. Like I loved, I loved that I got to be part of such an amazing team. And even though I did an individual event, my team was phenomenal. And it was a team I always kind of managed and put around myself. How and big was that team? It was probably, probably five or six at any one time. And, you know, I, I like... It was interesting because they always brought something different to the table. And what I was always bringing to the table was the competition side, but they were bringing all the rest of it, all that well-being side. And I guess it was before that well-being industry is the way that it is now. And to get access to those type of people who are top of their game purely to help me run fast was an unbelievable privilege. And I remember retiring and I worked, I did a little bit of work with rugby for a couple of years when I first retired. And I remember feeling similarly privilege that I got access to see what they were doing and what they were doing in the wellbeing space to help the lads perform. And I just found it fascinating. And yet I found when I looked at my friends and I looked at normal industry, so little of it was happening in normal industry. And I just thought just because someone's a professional sports person doesn't mean that they should have all this access and someone who isn't shouldn't, you know, like whether you're working in an office or, or wherever. And I find that really interesting. And all those seeds started to be sown for all the things I've kind of done since in that wellbeing space. Yeah, sure. I should remind listeners of your career. You were a hurdler, 100 metres outdoors, 60 metres indoors. You were world indoor champion. You won four European championship medals, indoors and outdoors, fourth place outdoors in, in the world championship in Berlin in 09. I think, and a, a three-time Olympian as well. I probably missed out loads. But a national record holder 
uh, at the time as well. And I suppose Ireland was known for middle distance running, wasn't it, uh, for years and years and years when I was growing up as a young fella. And people like yourself and David Gillick changed that perception that it could be actually about sprints and about hurdles, uh, etc. And that's carried on from there, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. It has. And you're right, because when I was growing up, I mean, everything was about Sonia Sullivan. You know, she was the queen to me. But I've always been very comfortable in doing things that were maybe the road not taken. And whether that was at the time going after sprint hurdles, like I knew it was an event no one had really done at a very high level before. But I also felt confident that I could deliver it on a high level. And it's interesting, like that same that same confidence, sometimes naivety to go at something is also, I think, what I've done since. Because when I retired, you know, I pitched to do a healthy lifestyle cookbook and that wasn't really being done at the time either. And I just thought that's, that's a really good thing to do that has a really good kind of soul in it. I really believed in it as a concept. And then when I went into the digital space, it was the same thing. I remember seven years ago pitching the business to um I think it was local enterprise office there's a group of people and I remember they were kind of saying no like that won't that digital online well-being won't really work in the Irish market and I remember thinking okay but I think I can make it work so I do it's funny whether it's athletics or whether it's something else I do I always do my research I always look at data whether it's trying to run faster whether it's the business and I come back and I go, does that make sense? And can I give it a good go? And who are the team that I need around me to do it? So when did you know that your athletics career was was at an end or you wanted to to bring it to an end? And was it a bit scary uh, thinking about what you would do after that? Because you were a full-time athlete, presumably earning a, a good living out of it. And you were, you were ending one chapter. Did you know what the next chapter was going to be? No, I didn't mind. I didn't find it scary. Didn't find it daunting. I always felt on borrowed time as a professional athlete. I knew it couldn't go on forever. And it went on longer than a lot of, like very few sprinters go to three Olympics. And so I was always prepared for it to end. Every year I did something off track that I felt would align me well to go into industry somehow. So in when I broke my Irish record, three weeks later, I handed in my thesis in Smurf of Business School Um I did a master's there. So I felt like, okay, that ticks a business box that I'm very interested in. I went to cookery school. I upskilled on that because I was quite interested. You did interested a course in, in Ballymaloo, didn't you? I went to Dublin cookery school, but oh. I've run a course in Ballymaloo with Darina. Ah. Yeah, so I spent a good bit of time down there as well. So I, no, I wasn't worried. I wasn't daunted. I love, I love the idea of doing new things. I'm not afraid of change and... Yeah, it didn't. Maybe it should have bothered me more because everyone always asks that. Mm. But no, I was okay with it. Okay. And you were obviously doing well enough to, to pay for that support team that you mentioned, that handful of people who were helping you to compete at the highest level as a, a as an athlete. To be honest, in that world, in Olympic world, it's so different. And actually, even, even that environment has changed because the Institute of Sport, when I was retiring, was only just getting going. So a lot of those people now would be available in the Institute of Sport. During my career, they kind of just weren't there. They didn't exist. So I remember looking at myself, like my racing is the product and what does the product need to support it getting to market? Getting to market is getting to a race and trying to win a medal. And I handpicked working with people and most of the time they weren't even paid. They just did it. They just followed that dream. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that they wanted to get on board with it and that they felt like it was worth their time. And most of them were volunteers, which is crazy if you think back. Okay, so you've left that athletics. Yep. Uh, you're, you've done the cookbook. You've done a bit of work with Doreen Allen and, and so forth. Um, and then Derville.ie comes along. Tell us about that. Yeah, so after I did, after I did the two cookbooks, I... Felt like I was like everybody else. I felt really busy. I felt I'm really busy and I'm really struggling to do basic stuff to feel good. And if I'm like this, I'd imagine there's quite a lot of people like this. So I started looking into what were people doing? Like, what was that pain point of feeling like you want to do something positive for your well-being? But what was the barrier to it? And I thought digital was a really interesting space. I thought if you could put something up in digital, it's really easy to adapt it, to tweak it, Um there's just so many more elements to it than a physical product, you know, than a physical cookbook or a, a physical training book or something. So I started to really, to really look into digital. I did a course in MTU for female entrepreneurship because I'd gone to Smurfit. So 
I had a bit of that, but I wanted to know, I wanted to dig deeper into that entrepreneurship and how to actually, actually go after that. So that we launched Derville.ie five years ago. Like it's coming up to its fifth birthday. And I remember did two builds that I didn't like. And the third build was very much third time lucky and went to market. And by that Christmas, by that Christmas going into New Year, we had about 500 odd members. And it so it just worked. It worked from the get go. And it worked not because it was perfect, because nothing is perfect. But it all it always tackled that. Are you busy? Time poor? Mm. Do you want to do something positive that's expert led? And it has just evolved over time. And then it's eventually evolved into what sale is now or a new sale app. Yeah. So what do people get out of it? Uh, just explain for those who haven't yeah. used Derville.ie like me, um, explain <laughs> how it works and what, what what exactly you get out of it. Yeah. So Derville.ie um, was our first product. It was very female focused and we have a massive community on there of women who go on and they could do a fitness plan, a nutrition plan. They might do some mindfulness and that has been very, very community led, like so very supported by the women who are on there, by the coaches who are on there. So in doing that, I started getting really interested in the workplace well-being space, particularly in the past two years, because when we launched Derval.ie, I always wanted to service individuals. And then what I was realizing more and more was all those individuals are in workplaces as well. And mm. we did a lot of research and we got, you know, in some of our research, we we interviewed a thousand people and six out of the 10 had no workplace well-being solution in their work. So we thought, OK, a lot of our a lot of our members don't have something in work and work is such a fundamental part of what we do day to day. We spend so much time in work. So how do we move this on a little bit? And Derville.ie being our original offering, how do we move this on to commercial offering? And that's where sale came in. So it took about two years to put all the pieces together and try to try to figure out what do people now, want now in a post-COVID world and what how do you make it easy, accessible for people to do stuff that they trust with experts? So were you able to monetize Derville? Yes. Yeah, we were able to monetize Derville.ie. And I, we never had any investment. It was always self-funded. Um, we we're really fortunate that we we got some Leo support. And we've actually just been on board as the HPSU with Enterprise Ireland for sale app, which is really exciting. Um, so yeah, the, the business always always made some money but and I think this might go back to the athlete thing you can't be a full-time athlete if you can't keep the lights on you can't pay your rent you can't pay your flights to go to a race and I've always approached the business from the same context like I've always gone at it with we need to be good enough that someone wants to pay us for our product otherwise we can't survive so we didn't really come at it from an investment perspective mm -hmm. at all and you know that will have to change as time goes on particularly now with Salaf but that's what we went with the Derville. And I think it it worked really, really well. And I'm always very proud of all the sales we did because to do what we did from our team, all we've always had brilliant experts. So the ex experts has been something I've always been very passionate about. And that goes back to that athlete, athlete part of me that I'm like, if you're going to put someone in front of a group to help them, that group might only have 30 seconds or 30 minutes max people's time is precious. So you need to put someone in front of them who can add value to their lives, someone who's really qualified, who's really good at engaging and will add one thing that will help people. So we've always had those brilliant experts, but our office team has never been big. There's five of us full time now and there. So what we've achieved, I think, is brilliant. And I'm very excited about where we'll go with Sela. Does Derville.ie still have a separate life or have you migrated to, to Sela? We've migrated some, a chunk of our members who wanted to come over there. And then we have this really lovely, I don't want to call it a problem, a lovely situation where lots of people are really happy over there and they're really happy in that space and how it works. And we're really happy with them over there. So I think SailApp will function more in that workplace well-being. But we did give our original members an opportunity to come over there and a good few did. But I kind of love that some of them, quite a lot of them stayed as well, because mm. I go, yeah, we like we love that, too. And it is it is a different platform in terms of the tech is very different to Salap than it is in Derville.ie. Salap is very community led. And whilst Derville.ie is community led, the tech isn't as community led as it is with sales. So once you go on to sale, like I was on 
I was up last night for work and I popped on and there was a live going on around financial well-being and I could see who else was there. I could see that it was very much people there at the same time and community chat. So, yeah, it is it is interesting. Yeah, OK. So explain Sail Up to us because it's primarily focused on SMEs and we know we have lots of SMEs. I think yes. 98% of Massive. all businesses in Ireland are, are SMEs. So um, some of them are sole traders and, and some of them are, are bigger, but it does cover, it covers a wide range. Now, I would have thought, I don't know what the prices are, we'll get into that maybe yeah. uh, a little bit for what you're offering, but I would have thought a lot of SMEs, if you go to a lot of SMEs, they'd say, what, wellness for the staff? Are you kidding me? How much? You know, do you know what bills I have, etc.? I don't have the money for uh, to offer a wellness program to my staff. Um, do you meet that kind of resistance? Not hugely. Are you targeting uh, a, not a specific cohort of SMEs who can no, afford No, no, not hugely because I think, and I'm saying this as a business owner as well, my business hat on, right? Whether you're whether you're a sole trader or whether you have 200, 220 people working for you, you need to take care of your people because your people are your biggest asset. And I think people realize that more and more now. And retention is so difficult. Getting new talent is so difficult. So there's very few SMEs that can afford not to do something in terms of of well-being. And then I think when you are an SME as well, you're doing so much and you have so many balls in the air that I think you need a solution that's quite simple and it's a trusted solution. So for me, we haven't had resistance to it. And we, we've had a lot of people kind of saying, we know we need to do something and we kind of don't quite know what that something is. And there's this one person in here who seems to like well-being, who we've put in charge of it. And that's been that's been the feedback. And it's we've been onboarding clients, you know, because we've just gotten going in the past couple of weeks. And yeah, we haven't had that kind of negativity around I'm doing so much I don't need to do anything I think everybody knows I think the world has changed fundamentally like it's a very different place to what it was 10 years ago I think if you'd come to the market with this product 10 years ago I think you would have gotten that but now you don't because everybody's time is so precious Mm. I think psychologically we're different coming out of COVID and people's work and their life balance is looked at very differently and also you have that massive element of hybrid working and if you have hybrid workers, you need to be considered th- considering their well-being because isolation can kick in so quickly. Um, so, yeah, no, it's been it's been quite nice. OK, so what are you offering? Yeah, so what we're offering is you come on and we have different pillars that we work under, whether it's nutrition, finance, exercise, mindfulness, and you can get on-demand content, which is all expert-led. We also do lives twice a week. So this week we have yoga, we've got finance, and then we have like groups and challenges. So for us... It's, again, whether someone wants 30 seconds or 30 minutes, that there's an option there and that they can see that it's that the experts, the quality is really high, but also the community led part is massive because people help people, people engage with people. And that's something that we found with Derville.e that pushed it on. It was always about the community. The experts are brilliant, but the community has to row in behind it. So we've groups, we've challenges. We've Santa's steppers about to get going for our Christmas challenge. And sometimes it's the simple things that will just engage someone to move, to take a few minutes to think about what can I do for my health today? That's simple. So there's just so many solutions on there. The tech is lovely to use. Um, and yeah, it's it's an easy. So an these easy yoga win. classes are online. Is it all online? Yeah. All online, oh. all online, all digital. Yeah. OK. Um, and what's the cost? The cost is 299 So I keep saying 200 euros. So basically 200 euros per person per license is the cost of it. So we looked at the market. We looked at what people pay towards. Lots of companies pay towards gyms, gym membership. And we know the usage then isn't massively high on that. So it's very competitive in terms of that. Okay. 200 euro. that's uh, for a year? For a full year, yeah. And as well, we looked at, for that 200 euro, like across across all the things that we do in that year, if you take the lives in, then you take the on-demand. And the lives was something that was important to us because not a lot of other people on the market were doing were doing those lives for people to go into. And we do sale talks where you can ask the experts. And even something like, you know, we all know how hard it is to get appointments and to have time to go to an appointment. So, you know, we've a, we've a function where we will have an expert come on and we can, our members will send us questions before the expert comes on. And the questions... So give, us, give us an example of the type of expert who will come on and what they'll address. Yeah, so one of our, so we had finance last night, so which was actually quite timely at this time of year. So we had loads of questions in for our finance um, 
questions around life insurance, questions around all, all those kind of things, tax credits. So he was on there. So people anonymously give questions, then they're answered, so then they tune in and get the answers. And then it's there on demand. So if someone can't tune in, they can get it on demand. We have an amazing lady on mindfulness. She has a PhD in stress management and we know stress and burnout is massive in the workplace. So she'll come on and she'll do a live and it can be, she'll go either a couple of ways. It could be topic based. So one of her topic based recently was awareness of your thoughts and dealing with that. And then she can get questions sent in about how people are feeling and what are the different elements they can they can do with how they're feeling and what her advice is on that or yoga girl, there's loads. It's it's very busy place in a really good way. It feels very vibrant. I wanted it digitally to feel like offline, to feel alive, feel like there's people there because I think people are key. You need to feel like people are engaged mm. and you're not alone on there. And how do people sort of rate whether they're getting value for money or not? That's a good question. How would they rate it? How would I rate it? How would you rate it? I think... People will have different goals. So that's that's why we have our group. So one of our groups, some people's goal is weight loss. So we have a weight loss support group with a weight loss coach on there. And she will go in and she'll answer questions that some people want to put questions publicly. Some, some people want to privately message her and we have that functionality. So for them in that group, their goal might be weight loss. So that's, I mean, they'll... I suppose what I'm asking is, uh, let's say we have an employer. Yes. Let's say 50 people. Uh, you go to them and, and you offer uh, a program uh, to them and presumably, you, you know, in terms of pricing and whatever, you can work something out. Um, I don't know if all of the 50 people typically would go into this program or maybe just, you know, the 20 or 30 who want to participate. Um, but anyway, you, you have a, a number of people, you have a, a group of people. At the end of the year, presumably you're going back to that employer and saying, you know, we'd like to renew. So how does the employer... And I know you're in early stages, yeah. so maybe Return I haven't figured this out yet, but how, how does the employer sort of figure out whether they're getting value for money, whether people are using the service or not, uh, and it's worth, you know, what they're spending? Yeah, that's massive. So even though we're early stage, we did look at that really early because, again, as someone who wears the hat of a business owner, I need to know I'm getting a return mm. on investment, particularly because I have a small business. So straight away for us, it's engagement. So we know if we sign up, if we sign up 100 licenses, we have a target then of how many people we want to log in and use the service. And then we will tell them that percentage. So it will never be individual information. That's really, really important. Um, but they'll know the percentage that logged on and that used it. And you ha you have to know, like you have to get a stat on that when mm. you're investing in anything. And that's something we find interesting because I think as well what a lot of employers struggle with there's two sides of it. You have an employee that wants to know they're putting money into something that's being used and you have an employee who wants to know their employer is spending on them but isn't watching them. It's not Big Brother. So that was something that was very interesting when we were looking at the tech. So we are very are very mindful of the employees and they're using it in their own private time a lot of the time so that data isn't going back it's never individual data but that they know that they know they're protected and they know once it's handed to them that they're not being watched but then for the employer they they have to know that okay there needs to be an element of engagement so we've engagement stats that are really important for them the other thing we try and do a lot and we did we've done it constantly on derival.e and rightly or wrongly because you'd be pulling your hair out sometimes We've always surveyed members. So from the very first month, we were like, okay, we've done all of mm. this. What did you love? What did you hate? What would you like more of? So we'll always survey people mm. what they're using. And like, you have to be very open to um, people giving you their feedback because you have to give people what they want. And everyone has these natural biases and areas that they want to go towards. So it's very much data-driven and we have to listen to users. It has to be user-focused. Yeah, okay. How many people have you signed up so far? How many companies? Oh, we've we've onboarded three in the past week. So that's pretty exciting. We're doing some work with Baxter Story, um, which is great. And we have just onboarded, as of this week, a company in America. Yes. Wow. So, yeah, that's, um. I can't tell you who they are, though. But you can that, tell me anything there, will you? Yeah, know? yeah. I know this is a safe, secret space. Um. So that was, that was massive for us. So um, we're... Of course, we want loads of clients, but also we're very conscious of the fact that it's always quality. We want to deliver a really, a really good product. I remember being told at the start of my business life, um, under promise and over deliver. 
and that's what I'll always do. We've always done it on Dervil.ie. We'll always do it on sale. So we've three now and we have demos all the time happening. And there's a little bit, B2B is different to B2C in that there's just a slightly longer lead time. So we had kind of said to ourselves, we'll just get out and start talking to clients pre-Christmas and then we'll have lots of clients in January. But we already have some onboarded, which is quite exciting. And also having one outside of Ireland is is very interesting. Yeah, it's a good calling card, I guess. How many users in the American contract? How many users? I was talking about this on a phone call yesterday evening. There's 400. Oh. Yeah, and very diverse backgrounds. So for us, there'll be a huge amount of learnings. And that's when you go back to your data. Are they engaging and talking to them, asking them, surveying them and getting that feedback because in all these platforms and everybody knows because we've all used them in different spaces, the worst thing is no one using it. It has to work. It has to have people using it. So you can have the fanciest platform, but if there's no one on there, it's irrelevant. It has to be adding value. That's an 80 grand contract. Look at, there you go. You're, you're the numbers man, not me. I'm all concepts and ideas and creativity. Um, So if you're hiring, you're presumably putting together a team of experts to... Yeah. Um, you know, talk to or uh, give demos to your clients. So, and that's an expensive business, uh, I, I guess, and they've all got to be paid and so forth. So in terms of investment, how are you funding it? Well, we, I was saying we're just, we've just become a HPSU with Enterprise Ireland as of this week. Um, so we've gotten some money in for that, which is brilliant. And we will be getting a little bit more money through the HPSU in the next 12 months. So there is two sides of this, the HPSU, which is brilliant, but also what we've done in Derville.e is our sales have always funded a lot of the growth. Um, and people would probably argue with me about that, but that's what we've done. And I feel like to an extent, there's an honesty in that because if you have sales, you have a business that's functioning really well. And yeah, we're about to start hiring again next week. So we're going to Many meet. people? We're going for two next week. I know people make these big announcements that they're hiring 220, but for me... Well, to go from five to seven is, yeah, is, a, is exactly. a leap. Yeah, exactly. It is a leap. And, you know, I'm very proud of the fact that the business serves us so well through the past five years that we're coming with our second offering that's been so well thought through. And I'll always take my time around hiring and I'll take my time around growth um, because it has to be very considered. So as an athlete, you were always thinking about targets, world championships, Olympics, what time can I achieve? Yeah. Etc. Uh, maybe thinking about injuries. How long is it going to take me to get over uh, an injury? So I presume you've set targets for for this uh, business. How big can this business get? Let's say in the next three five years. Interesting. I'm not as target driven, genuinely in the business compared to in athletics. Because in athletics, it was a much simpler way to set a target. So you go, this is the fastest I've ever run. How do I run faster? And it's kind of you and your team involved. And then obviously whoever in the world is out there running fast. In this context, there's so many different moving parts. So for me, the next 12 months is massively important. And it's important that we have some brilliant clients on board that we're servicing really, really well. Our team keeps growing. Like we will, my plan is to probably have between 12 and 15 in the next six months because we're going to need that. And just monitor everything and grow from there. Now, we do have a very lovely detailed business plan. Um, but like all business plans, you know, you have to keep an eye on it and then you have to react to what's going on. So first year revenue target? Oh, I don't even have one. Isn't that terrible? I know. But you Second know what? revenue target? No, I, I do have one. I do have one. But I don't really talk about that too much. Yeah, I don't. I... I remember with Derville.e, I remember my revenue target <laughs> when I started was having one person that enjoyed it. And then all of a sudden we had 500 members in a couple of weeks and I was going, wow, this is great. So I'd rather surprise myself. Um, but our revenue targets are ambitious. And I have, you know, I do have a, a good business partner involved as well. Um, this is Greg O'Gorman. This is Greg, yeah, yeah. So Greg, Greg, I know... We always, he sets the targets really high. I argue and make them slightly more um, conservative and then we land somewhere in the middle. So I'm just trying to think, just because we've just come through all that HPSU process, I'm thinking of the numbers in my head and all of those forms that we filled out. And it's definitely ambitious. I wouldn't do it if it wasn't ambitious, 
but I can I never want to go too far away from the service provision because for me that's everything we have to provide to the person. Just finally to close it out, if somebody out there listening to this is maybe struggling a little bit with the work life balance, um, yeah. a lot of stress at work, maybe family at home, struggling to find time for themselves if you like, um, and maybe a little bit of mental health uh, stress, uh, etc. What would your key piece of advice be to them? I think something is always better better than nothing. So, and that's why I'd all say 30 seconds up to 30 minutes. Try to try to sign up to something. Obviously, I'm biased towards what we do and I think we would be brilliant for someone who's who's looking to start and looking to get going again. But I think go somewhere that's expert-led, that's community-focused and that will keep you accountable um, and try and do it with a group. That's really, really important. And, and just get going, get started and invest in your health because if you don't have your health, all the rest of it's irrelevant. Okay, good advice, uh, I would say. Deborah O'Rourke, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Dean Rock, John Small and Deborah O'Rourke for joining me on the show. Suzanne Brennan produced this episode with JJ Vernon on sound. And thanks also to our sponsor EY for its continued support. Remember, as a subscriber to the Irish Times, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. The Irish Times Inside Business Podcast in association with EY, building a better working world.